Good morning, church. Go ahead and open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is where we'll be today. We will be doing something similar to what we've done the last couple weeks. We have walked through a series of texts. We'll do that, but we will end. We'll get to 1 Corinthians 12. And I'll begin here. Here's what I know. I know that in our day, compared to maybe... 20, 30, 40 years ago, when it comes to institutional Christianity, that is, being a part of a local church, I would say in American evangelicalism is probably the most unpopular it has ever been, would be right now, to be a part of a local church. If you've spent any time in church, as I have, as clearly you have, you have likely heard a variety of people's perspectives on the church when you've invited them perhaps to come to Bethesda. I want to give you a few things that I know I have heard and you can nod along if you can relate to this. I remember being in high school and I had my club soccer coach, charismatic guy, and I was having a conversation with him and we were talking about religion. It came up and I told him where I went to church. I said, where do you go to church? And he says, oh, I have church right here in my own home. I have it with my, my wife and our kids, and we, we do church right here. We don't need to go somewhere to a, to a brick-and-mortar building. We go to church right here. Sunday morning, we open up the Bible. We do that together. As a high schooler, that threw me off. I went, can you do that? Is that allowed? How do, is that breaking the rules? Perhaps you've come across people who have said, I don't like the church, but I love Jesus. And they'll, it's, always, it's always this quote from Gandhi, quoting Gandhi in church. Okay? Gandhi said, I like Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And so they will say, I love Jesus, not the church. And so never mind the church. I don't need the church to be a good Christian. Use a final example here. Perhaps you've come across charismatic people that will come into uh, your small group, your church environment, whatever, and they're highly gifted. They know their Bible well, and they want to get involved real quickly. When you ask them about their previous church experience, they'll say something kind of vague, like, oh, I didn't do well. And they, don't, they don't get into it too much, but they, they, they're here. And you want them involved because, man, we've been looking for someone like you. But when you ask them, hey, what do you think about becoming a part of the church, you know, really, really making this church your home, they'll say, well, I don't need to join the church as a member. I'm a part of the church, the universal church. You know the universal church. Christians have used this distinction, the universal church, the local church. The local church is, well, it's right here. It's not the building. It's, it's you and I. That's, that's here at Bethesda. We make up a local church. The universal church, when Christians use that, typically refers to Christians from all times and all places throughout history. I should tell you this. The universal church has not gathered. The local church is gathering. A lot of them are doing that this morning. But the universal church has not gathered. That happens in Revelation 19 at the marriage supper of the, the bride and the lamb. The lamb being Christ and the bride being the church gathered together. All those local churches into that one body. But that person will say, I'm a part of the church, the universal church. And then you'll realize that this person, uh, after a while, maybe they'll hear something that they don't like or they'll feel slighted in some way. They'll move on to the next place. And uh, when I think of these people, um, I think of, I, I call them shooting star Christians. They, they show up, they're bright. You know that they're there and then they leave 
subtly, quietly through the back door after a brief season. You can think of further and further examples like this of people who have a high priority like Jesus, but their actions or the things that they say show that they have a low view of the local church, the local church. Last week, if you were with us, we talked about baptism. And what we've been saying over the last few weeks is that if you want to know that you've seen a church, not just because it has a building has the word church on, uh, on the front of it, has a sign that says that how do you know you've seen a church? We've said with the Protestant reformers is that there's two marks of a church. The first one is the right preaching of God's word, specifically the proclamation of the gospel that Christ has come to die, resurrect from the dead. We preach resurrection at Bethesda. We preach that Christ has been crucified, risen, so that he would redeem us for his glorious name. That's the gospel that we preach. That's the first mark. The second mark are the right practice, the right practice of the sacraments or the ordinances of the church, those things that Jesus has ordained that we would do that rightly demonstrates the gospel acted out. So it would be baptism, what we've been talking about, the Lord's Supper would be the other one, and we'll talk about that here soon. Baptism, I want to put that definition back up on the screen. I'm doing this because I understand Labor Day was last week and so was the fair, so I'm helping out a few of you. So if we could put that definition on the screen, I'm going to read it. What is baptism? It's that ordinance where you're immersed in water. And you're done, it's done in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's where you go public with your faith. When you go public with your faith, Christ who has cleansed you of your sin, you symbolize the inner reality of what has happened. Christ died for you. He resurrected. And now you're, you're dying to your old self. And you're being raised to live a new life. And you're doing that as you enter into the church. We didn't get to that last phrase, as you enter into the church. That's what we're doing today. So we did all the first part last week. We're doing the last part this week. Baptism has so much that we could talk about. But for you and I, what I want to say to us is that we believe that baptism corresponds to a spiritual circumcision that Paul talks about in Colossians 2.11, where you and I have been, not by a circumcision made of hands, but instead a circumcision by the Spirit in which God came into our lives. Paul talked about in Romans 2, he says, talking about a true Jew, he says, for no one is a Jew merely outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And so I want to remind you as we get into this morning, and talk about the, the corporate dynamic of our baptism, I want to remind you and assure you, give you that confidence once again, once again Christian, has been baptized, of the deeper reality of what your baptism pointed to. You have been inwardly baptized with the spirit that Paul says in Ephesians 1, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He has sealed you, and he will never leave you or forsake you. You see, you hold on to the reality of what your baptism symbolizes, and so as Brother Ted earlier was praying for those of us in all seasons of life, you look back to what that baptism symbolizes, 
You can't get unbaptized. You can't go back into that water. And that spirit isn't going to unbaptize you with himself. He isn't going anywhere. It is final. And it was true then when you first received Christ. It is still true right now. You hold on to that. And as you hold on to that, let's move forward. And I want you to consider what happens when you get a whole bunch of people who have been received that believer's baptism together and you put them in a room together. What happens? When you see that baptism isn't just merely an individual achievement, but it is a doorway into the membership of the congregation as you stand together against the forces of hell on mission together. That's where it gets interesting. But for that, we need to pray, and then we'll dive in. Lord Jesus, we are about to go upstream, as we've been saying, against much of modern-day evangelicalism. Help us now to be faithful to your word, to say, Lord, we will do whatever your word requires. We will submit ourselves underneath it. Show us the high commitment that you have called us to. And yet, as we do that, Lord, show us the even greater commitment you've already made to us and the covenant of being a part of your church. Amen. I've mentioned before, I mentioned last week, that when I was baptized in 2009, the spring there, it was such a great moment in which I came out of those waters. I remember putting my hands up like this. David Lindo had baptized me at First Baptist Church, Universal City. And I saw my family on the front row standing up. And it wasn't like they were cheering my name. They were cheering what the Lord had done because finally God really got a hold of this wicked kid. And so the moment had happened. And I will tell you, what I didn't fully understand or appreciate was that I was entering into something. See, you can get baptized at a church but you have to understand the difference between getting baptized at a church versus getting baptized into the church. Our elders had, have read several months ago an article, I love the title, I'll read it to you, called Youth and Church Membership or Stop Baptizing Children into the Ether. In other words, you should think about what people are getting baptized into because if you're not, you may just be baptizing them into nothingness. And what you'll find yourself doing is that if you haven't clarified that doorway that they're getting baptized into, they'll see baptism as the end, the capstone of a spiritual achievement instead of the beginning of the Christian life where you're walking through it with brothers and sisters. And so don't see that as the end of your journey, but the beginning where you become a part of your family. This is why we're talking about it today. This is a discipleship issue. This is a soul care issue. That's why this matters. So I want to argue something. I don't know how popular it will be, but I will argue that it's biblical. I want to argue two things this morning. I want to argue, one, that baptism is membership. And so I think for many of us, we've had that confusion of what's the relationship between baptism and church membership. I want to argue that when you are baptized, you are entering into the church. That's the first thing. The second thing, if I'm arguing that, is I want to argue that membership is a requirement for each Christian. There's no such thing as unchurched Christians in the Bible. Big claim, I know. Here we go. Okay, I want to do two things. I want to look at, so, so with those two claims, I want to first look at the swath of New Testament evidence, and then second, I want to look at 1 Corinthians 12. You will not find, first, you will not find a verse in the Bible that will say, thou shalt become a church member. You're not going to find it. But you will see, if you look, that, New Test that membership is assumed 
on every page of the New Testament, starting from Acts all the way to Revelation. Let me show you what I mean. In Acts 2, 41, we've mined Acts 2, it seems like, for weeks now, for all it's worth. There's still always more to look at. After people believe in Christ and they're baptized, what happens? If you want to look at the end of Acts 2 there, feel free to turn there. Acts 2.41 says, those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. By the way, as we go through this, I want to acknowledge your view of when I say membership might be different than mine. I hope that mine is biblical, and I hope by the time we're done today, you'll go, that's much different than what I assumed it had been. That's what we're doing right now. And so they were added to their number that day. Repeatedly, we see these kinds of concepts come up. They're entering into a local community in Jerusalem, and then they're counted a part of a number of this community. You see, further down in verse 47, it begins to describe this community that had all things that were sharing with one another. It was a loving community. And in verse 47, we're told that they were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number. There's a distinction. They are set apart. To their number, day by day, those who were being saved. And so those who were saved, believed in the resurrection of Christ, they were becoming a part of this specific community. In Acts 3, you can read on about the story. Stories there, miraculous accounts. In Acts 4, they're preaching. And at the beginning of Acts 4, they're preaching, and we get the response of some of the people. But many of those, in verse 4 of Acts 4, it says, many of those who had heard the word believed. Responding to the gospel. And the number of the men who came forward were about 5,000. So we started with 3,000 in Acts 2. Now we're getting up to 5,000. This community is growing. It's a large one, but it's distinct. A group of people who believed and were baptized and belonged to the Jerusalem church. That's just a little bit at Acts. Let me point this out to you. When you read the commands of the New Testament, do you ever realize that how for so many of them they require that you are participating in a community? It's not just something that you do. It's something that requires another. Let me give you some examples here. And you can think about scripture that, lines, scripture that, reference, that I'm referencing to here. Christians are commanded to love one another. You can't just say, brother, that I'm a loving guy, right? You, we'll find out and we'll see how, how you really treat other people. That's how we'll know how loving you are. You have to love another. Christians are commanded to seek peace and unity with one another, to avoid strife with one another, to care for one another physically and spiritually, to watch over one another and hold one another accountable. Matthew 18, we'll look at that. We edify one another, we bear with one another, we don't sue one another. See 1 Corinthians 6. We pray with one another. We keep away from those who would destroy the church. We reject evaluating people by worldly standards. We do not judge incorrectly one another. We contend together for the gospel. We are examples for one another. I hate plagiarism, so I should tell you what I'm quoting from. Partially scripture, but Mark Dever wrote a little pamphlet called, Why Should I Join the Church? If for any reason you are not convinced by this morning, I want to recommend to you, we have a pamphlet just for you out front at the Welcome Center. We have several of those, not just on membership, but many others. So that's for all of you out there. 
something else too. When you read your Bible and you look at those commands, understand when Paul says you should or you should not, don't think that that's speaking necessarily in the first person singular or second person singular, you the individual. He's saying all y'all in Texan, right? He's saying y'all, right? We don't have two different words. We just have you singular and you plural. But when Paul says you should do this, he's saying corporately to so many. You think about who are the letters being written to? The letters are being written to the churches at Rome, Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, Thessalonica, the pastoral epistles, to Timothy and to Titus, who are over churches. If you want to get really snarky and go, well, Aaron, Philemon's written to one person. How about that? I would say, well, look at the first verse. And in the first verse, you'll see the introduction. Paul says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus to Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, and of Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church that is in your house. Every single epistle of Paul assumes church interaction. So listen, here's what I'm saying. The Bible knows nothing of Lone Ranger Christianity. It knows nothing of churchless Christianity. It assumes that if you're a Christian, you're a part of the local body. Those are the category, that's the category that we get in the New Testament. But if I was only allowed to argue for church involvement, this high view of church membership from one place, I would take you to 1 Corinthians 12. If I could only offer you one chapter, this is where I would go. If you know 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians and he's telling them about spiritual gifts. And he says there is one spirit and that Holy Spirit gives you the ability to authentically, really, truly say that Jesus is Lord. And that spirit gives spiritual gifts. You can look at the list that's there in the first 11 verses. At the end of that, in verse 11, Paul says, he says that this spirit apportions to each one individually as he wills. Hear me on this. The spirit decides which gifts we get. And so while I have heard many say, you, you don't have that gift because you haven't asked for it. Sure, we should ask. But understand it comes from the power of the Spirit to a portion as he wills. And then the next verse. So that's the context. Here's what he says in verse 12. For just as the body is one, and what? And has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Verse 13. For in one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So the illustration, the church is like a body. And that body has many appendages, has different aspects to it, has hands, eyes, feet, all of that. And no one part alone is the body. But when it comes together, that's what it truly is. They all have to come together to make up the whole. And the same is true with the church. Each of you have a spiritual gift. Each one of us, including myself, we all have our giftings. And alone, we cannot do it by ourselves. We cannot be the church by, my, by themselves. Uh, if I am just the church, I, like my friend, my coach, just doing it by yourself, that's a really lonely island to be on. 
But you have to come together, and when you come together, you make up the whole. Maybe the reason you thought of membership incorrectly is because you thought of it more in terms of a Costco club membership instead of seeing it as an appendage to which you're attached to the whole, where you're using your spiritual gift in this one community. And so you don't go it alone. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. We need each other. And so like, just consider the absurdity of the imagery here if everybody says, no, I don't need to be a part of the church. I'm just going to do it my own way. I'm going to be part of the universal church. Everybody's just doing their own thing. You know what you get? Toy Story. Mr. Potato Head. That's what my kid's been watching. And you get all, all, all of the pieces right there on the floor. A whole bunch of body parts just hanging out on, on the floor. That, that is not only strange, it is weird, and it is unproductive, right? It's unproductive. And so, friends, we're called now to a greater hope. Ephesians 4, one body and one spirit, as we're called to one hope that belongs to our call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. Individual members come together as we glorify the Lord. This is what church membership is all about. It's saying, the Spirit lives in me as he lives in you. And so let's come together and let's be a part of this thing, not as a lone ranger, but as we do this thing on mission together. You see in verse 13, we'll read it again. It says, "For here's how you enter in. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into that body. All made a drink of the Spirit. You have that spirit that's within you. New Testament Christianity only knows a spirit-filled community. And so as the church, as a local body, we are an outpost of the kingdom of heaven where God reigns through a specific people. And you note that you cannot say, I'm a part of the universal church and expect that 1 Corinthians 12 is going to work. You can't just say, I'm part of some abstract community. Who's going to be the other that you're going to share that spiritual gift with? It requires that we must gather and come together. So we're together, sharing our gifts with one another, edifying one another, building each other up, correcting one another, rebuking one another when we have to, sharing the Lord's Supper with one another. You can't just say, I'm part of that thing out there and expect to fulfill what 1 Corinthians 12 encourages, requires us to do. We must gather so let's sum up New Testament evidence that we've looked at so far. There's no such thing as churchless, churchless Christianity. That's the first thing. So we've got three points. If you want to put those on the screen, those three points. There's no such thing as churchless Christianity. Second, when you look at that Acts 2 passage and how those people entered in, you look right here at 1 Corinthians 12, 13. That spirit baptism, which corresponds to your physical water baptism, Baptism is tied to church membership. And then third, baptized members participate through their spiritual gifts in the local body. So is church membership biblical? Yes. Let me show you the consequences of this now. When I was 16 years old, I told you, I've been telling you I've been baptized at First Baptist. I started going to the youth group and I look back now and I just go, the youth pastors must have hated me because here's what I did. I was like, I'm really going to get involved in church. And so I went to the youth group at 630 that started at one church, but I really wanted to get a lot of church in me. So I went to another church afterwards that I used to go to before at eight o'clock. And so I would leave early from the first one, show up late to the second one at their small group. 
And of course, there was a girl involved, and so I made sure to go to the second one. One night, I'm leaving First Baptist early, and I'm going to Northeast Bible Church late, and it's raining outside, and I was speeding. I was speeding. I was being careless, and I ended up getting in a car wreck. I should say it was the other guy's fault on paper, but if I wouldn't have been driving so fast, I would have been able to see him before he turned out in front of me. I slammed into him. You ever have that moment? It was the first time I experienced it where everything slowed down in front of me. Everything slowed down. And my car spun out and went into the McDonald's. And yeah, we exchanged information. Everybody walked away. But as I'm going home, the obvious hits me. If I wouldn't have put myself in this situation, I would have never gotten in the car wreck. And as I'm thinking about this, I could just, I could just sense the spirit convicting me, saying, Aaron, when are you going to stop dating my church and commit? I was dating two different churches at the same time. And I was doing everybody a disservice. These people who were doing a disservice, I was doing them a disservice because they were trying to invest into me. And I was doing a disservice to them because, well, I was doing a disservice to myself because I, I never let anybody get to know me. I couldn't go deep. You ever come across someone who goes, man, no one knows what's going on with my life. And it's like, well, brother, you show up to church once every two, three months. No wonder nobody knows your name, right? That's just the reality of it. When you're not invested, and that's what I was doing, I've missed out. I've told people that my biggest regret during college was that I was more involved in parachurch on campus ministry than I was involved in the multi-generational local churches that were around me. And so when my friends wanted to go to one church, we would all go to that one. And then, once, and then when one, one, one little guy went over here, we all would follow him and go to that one. We did that for four years. It was such a waste because it was just me and my charismatic, young, same age, dumb friends and me taking on the world for Jesus. And I was missing out on the wisdom and the investment I could have received and which would have saved me a lot of grief during that pivotal season of my life. So if you're a young person here, don't see the, see the wealth of wisdom of those who are older than you to invest in, in you. They don't feel like they have a whole lot of wisdom, but trust me, they do. It's good when we come together in a multi-generational way. I should just also say, parachurch ministry is a wonderful thing, and we support many of them. But parachurch ministry is at its best when it's done in service to the local church. I'm here to tell you I've been a culprit, and the Lord has been working on me for many years on this. And I just want to say to some of you, and I say this in love and in compassion, some of you are dating this local church, and I believe the Holy Spirit is calling you to commit to her. It's time for you to get off the fence. It's time for you to stop using that excuse that you're part of the universal church, and you don't need to be a part of the local church. The local church is the expression of the universal church today. So Jesus loves this church so much that he dies for her. And you can't say that you love Jesus and then don't love the things that he loves. You can't say you love Jesus, and you don't, but you don't love his wife. You have to love the church. Move from being an attender to a member from being a volunteer without commitment to being a part of what we do, our mission, our values, our beliefs, and let's do this together in this local body.
Here's what I believe. I believe the real culprits, though, are not those of you. I know there's many of us who aren't members at Bethesda. I, I actually don't believe you're the real culprit here. I think for many of us, we just haven't gotten around to be saying, putting your hand up and saying, yeah, I'm a part of this. I think the real culprits are church leaders and pastors like myself who, out of a fear to offend, don't raise the bar and say, this is what the word actually calls us to live by. But here's the symptoms, the consequence of a lack of teaching in this area. And I believe, I, I know I've seen several of these right here at Bethesda. When you don't elevate church membership, that distinction that we are part of something, you end up getting Christians who are confused about their baptism. Christians who go, okay, I was baptized, but am I really a member at Bethesda? I've had that conversation several times. Christians who come to view the Lord's Supper as an individual exercise instead of as a meal that we participate in together. Christians who don't integrate their family and their lives into the people of God. And so what ends up happening is that they bear their burdens and they bear their private sin issues alone. There's a number of us who are like that. You end up getting elders who are confused because they don't know which people that they are called to invest into. Beyond popular belief, our elders at Bethesda are not responsible for all Christians at all times at all places. They're responsible for the people who make up the body of Christ at Bethesda. And so, if, if you are here, I mean, here's how I look at this. I, I think of what Paul says in, in Hebrews, Hebrews 12. I have to read this. Hebrews 12 says this. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Oh my goodness. When I read that verse after I came here, it was somewhat terrifying. I will have to stand before the Lord and give an account for you. And so will those who have served as elders before us, and so will our current group of elders. And so if God is calling you out there to be a future elder, we will be accountable for the Lord for how we stewarded the souls of those who made up Bethesda. And so if we don't take membership seriously, we will be confused about which souls we're responsible for. We cannot be responsible for all of them but we're responsible for the ones that the Lord gives us. I believe that when you fall into these negative consequences, this is sad and it's not what God desires. And so I wanna to speak to a handful of groups here and then we're gonna put up our church covenant that we wanna show you. I wanna do this by way of an illustration. There are those of us who have put on the jersey of church membership and baptism and you're serving in the game. You're playing in the game. You're our elders and you're our deacons, our ministry coordinators or volunteers who have been serving for years or even a few months. And I know that sometimes you go, man, this is harder than what I signed up for. And I just want you to know, I just want you to know that scripture says you will reap a reward if you do not give up. So don't be weary in doing good. If you ask the question, man, is it really this hard for other Christians in other places? Yes. I want you to know that we as elders are right there alongside of you and we're thankful that you are serving, keeping in mind that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Thank you for putting on the jersey and being in the game. There's others of you who have put on the jersey, but you're on the sidelines and I'll just be very clear. You hear at the beginning of our announcements, Juana needs people to serve. Um, we, have, we have needs that each of, my, uh, of our coordinators Talk with me about serving in nursery with Sherilyn, serving in Awana with Brian. 
Helene, Anthony, all these different roles that we have, CR. Man, if you've put on the jersey, you're called to that great commission work. Get in the game with us and you'll find it'll be a blessing as you really get involved in the life of the church. The people who I know the best at Bethesda are the ones who are serving the most at Bethesda. That should be no surprise, right? Third, there are those of us who are wearing the jersey, but you're not on the sidelines, you're sitting in the stands. You're like the person who wears your favorite sports team's jersey, but you're not actually a part of the team, right? You just watch them on TV. And so you're in that strange territory where you're wearing the jersey, um, you're baptized at Bethesda, we could say, but you're in that strange category that we referenced earlier. I'm baptized, but I'm not a member. What do you do with me? A, 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 a non-member baptized person. Let's flip that around. Do you understand what I'm getting at? And so this sermon likely has been very disorienting for you this morning, and I want to acknowledge that. Here's what we want you to know on behalf of the elders. If you have been baptized at Bethesda, but you're not a member, first, if you were baptized at Byron Bible Camp when we met out there last, last year, we want to affirm your membership. Our current group of elders, they sat down with you. They checked to see if you believed in Christ. They heard you talk about the gospel. They looked at your testimony. You have met the requirements for being a church member. And so come to us if you receive that. We talk with most of you, and we want to bring you in front of the church and have you affirmed in front of the congregation, put their arms around you as a member. That's the first group. If you were baptized at Bethesda, though, in, in the more recent past or further past, uh, we believe as elders that warrants a conversation. And so we would like to sit down with you as well. And here's how the process would work for you. Right outside after the service is over, we have put our membership application out there. If you would fill that out, get that to the front office. Our ladies will take that from you. And then one of the elders would sit down and would love to talk with you, understand your story, understand your faith, and then we would love to affirm you in front of the church and bring you forward for church membership. And so Byron Bible Camp, we can go ahead and we can get you in front of everybody. For everybody else, if you've been baptized prior but haven't become a member, we'd like to go through that process with you. It's the third group. Two more. My favorite, the fourth group. I've been looking forward to this. There's those of you who are not wearing the jersey, but you're in the game. You're not a member, but you've been serving here for perhaps a number of years. Most people would think that you're a church member, but you know that you're not. But you would say, this is my home. I want you to know the elders have also been thinking about you for some time as well. And I've purposely have met with about eight, ten of you before this day so that you would know my heart toward you, our love towards you, and you'd know where we're coming from when we would talk about this. If we want to say first, and I'm going to calm down all of our ministry coordinators, their nerves in here in this moment, and say, please don't stop serving. Uh, keep serving at Bethesda. We like the way, we like that things function here. But I want to ask you a couple serious questions. Do you believe in the mission of what we're doing here? Do you believe what we're doing? We would not want you to serve. This is what we keep thinking about. We don't want you to go against your conscience, so we want to confront you with those two questions. One, do you believe in the mission of what we're doing here, of making disciples of all nations? And secondly, do you believe the things that we believe? We would hate for you to teach something on behalf of Bethesda and yet not affirm what was in your own conscience. And so we would love to sit down with you and go, are we on the same page together? I want to put it to you this way. 
I also know that there are several of you who have come up to me expressing how deeply you care about certain things that have been happening at Bethesda, and, and you, you tell me those things, and you're not members. And you know what goes through my mind? I go, you're right. But your voice is neutered, friend, because you have not said, yes, I'm a part of this thing, and we don't want that for you. We want your voice to be heard. Aaron Garza's voice is not the only voice at Bethesda. We, are, we should be one voice together. And when we do not hear your voice because you have not put up your hand formally to say, I'm a part of this thing, we don't get to have that whole voice together. And so we want to ask you, be a part of what we're doing so that we can hear your voice. That's our motive here. Are you with us? I do not say this to shame you, but I want, to, I want you to know this. I've had this sad conversation probably about 15 times as well since I've been here. We'll be talking about membership with either with an elder or with other people, and we'll be talking about a certain individual, and then we'll find out that that person isn't a member. And you know how the reaction goes from others when they hear that? They don't, it's not judgment. It's sadness. It's, it's grief. It's, it's usually like, is there something wrong with us that they don't want to be a part of us? So I don't say that to shame you. I say that I say that so that you would know that your church family loves you. And that I love you as well. And we really want you to be part of our family and what we're doing. And we simply just want you to say so. And it'll be a wonderful thing when we come together and affirm you. Life is too short to remain on the fence for too long. And so we ask you to raise your hand and let's go through that process together so that we are on the same page and same mission with you. The last group, those who aren't wearing the jersey but want to get into the game. You're a visitor just checking out Bethesda, and we want you to know that your soul to us matters more than your skills. We don't want you to get so involved in Bethesda, and we never stop to ask you whether or not you believe in Jesus, and that happens in churches all the time. We want to stop before we really go further and say, friend, do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave for you? We want to have that conversation. We don't believe that you belong before you believe. We believe instead that you believe, that you belong by believing. Did I get that right? Okay. The way you belong to this church family is by believing. Okay. And we want, as church elders, to be able to invest into your soul. It's a mandate that we don't take lightly. And so I want to put up on the screen here our church covenant as we end our time together. And I want to read through that with you. This is a church covenant in which there is a two-way street. I'm going to explain this. They will find it and they will put it up there. What's a covenant? A covenant is a two-way street. It's not like a cell phone contract. It's where I say to the church, here's my responsibilities to the church. And where the church says to me, here is where we are responsible to you. So to be a member at Bethesda, means that you affirm our statement of faith and you affirm this membership covenant and then we accept you into the congregation. You should know that Aaron has no right to enter anybody into the congregation. That is a congregational responsibility. So when we say church, we will do this at the end of the service. Church, do you affirm with an amen that this person should be a part of our body? That's not a formality. That is important. You are saying this person is now one of us one of us, and we're responsible for them. And so this is what we are affirming when we become a member. Let's go ahead and put up that, that statement, please. This is what we say. 
that this person prays for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace amongst the brethren. Hopefully, as we read this, you will notice these are duh, obvious Christian things. To live a life of discipleship that exemplifies the putting of, to death of sin and the rebirth to new life, Christian life, which is symbolized in the baptism you have received. Baptism is that doorway into this membership. To not forsake the assembling of gathering together of regular church attendance. That if you say you're a member, you show up to this. We're part of this together. And if you go somewhere else to another city, another town, another state, you become a part of that local body, a local body there, and transfer your membership. To edify the church by using your spiritual gifts. To be ministers of reconciliation. To prepare your heart regularly to receive the Lord's Supper. To submit to the encouragement, support, and teaching and discipline of your church's leadership. You submit to your church's leadership. I should also say, as elders, we submit to our church's leadership. There is no one person beyond what I know one church has as a global senior pastor. What a ridiculous title. There is only one global senior pastor, and his name is Jesus Christ. The final authority underneath King Jesus is the congregation as we submit to one another to the encouragement, support, teaching, and discipline of your church's leadership, and to work together for the continuation of faithful evangelistic ministry, contributing cheerfully and regularly to the support of Bethesda's ministry, our time, our finances, our blood, sweat, and tears, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel throughout all nations. This is a high calling. I acknowledge that, but you can easily see all the scripture that supports underneath this. This is normal Christianity. And so here's the two ways. If you're not a member, to get to the end of this, we want to encourage you. You can either fill out the membership application and we can have you, we can sit down with you individually and give you a second way that you can do that. On November 12th, if you want to write this down on November 12th, I am going to be leading after church a church membership class and we would love to have you join there. So November 12th, we'll have a, a meal and we'll do it that way. Those are two different ways you can do that. But it all ends by being in front of the congregation. Friends, it's time that we return to a high view of church membership. Even if, even if modern day evangelicalism is going the opposite direction. As I've talked to some of our older members, note that when I'm saying we return to a high view, this is not something that is new at Bethesda. This is something that at one point was a big deal. I know it was a big deal at Bethel. As I've talked with some of our older members here, I've heard stories about how when an individual would believe in Christ and then get baptized, they would stand in front of the congregation. I've heard stories even about people being interviewed in front of everybody. How would you like if we did that before we brought you in as a member? We won't do that. We won't do that. We'll have our elders do that. But there was a seriousness, seriousness to that so that when they came out of those waters, man, as I've heard stories from, from, from some of our older members here, that joy of affirmation is still on their face as they talk about being a part of something that is bigger than themselves. The world is craving, craving real community. Why do people go to bars? Why do people gather around sports teams in which they themselves will never enter onto the field but will watch through a screen? Why do people gather in cycling and running communities? Answer, because it is built into our DNA to desire to be a part of community bigger than ourselves. The world is lonely and broken and it needs the church to be a city on the hill. And if it has the greatest message of all time, that should come through in that church's culture. 
in how we hold ourselves to a high standard. Mark Dever says, present present day errors like not holding, upholding membership. And the understanding and practice of the church will, if they prevail, still further obscure the gospel. Christian proclamation might make the gospel audible, but Christians live together in local congregations to make the gospel visible. The church is the gospel made visible. Take away the church and you take away the visible manifestation of the gospel in the world. So let us be that one church that lets this message transform us as we hold each other to a high standard for God's glory. Let us come together as one. Let us serve as one. And when Christ returns one day, we will all be together, gathered as one on that last day. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Bethesda Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can find us online by visiting our website at www.bethesdahuron.com. Or you can find us on Facebook and YouTube at Bethesda Huron. 